So this morning we are continuing looking at the life of this guy named Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. Um, so we're looking at 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 2, and we're going to skip a little middle part in there uh, and go to uh, verses 17 through 46. You'll find it on the screen behind me. If you've got it with you, you can, you can follow along that way. But uh, just to give you a summary of, of sort of where the story was last week so that we, uh, we remember, uh, Elijah is a prophet, and he went to King Ahab and said, uh, look, it's not going to rain, and there's going to be no dew for the next three years except at my word. So there's, the, the rain is not coming. There's going to be a drought. And at, what happens when there's a drought? There's a famine, too. So we've got some issues. We've got some problems. And the reason he goes to King Ahab is because King Ahab married a woman named uh, Jezebel, uh, whose dad's name was Ethbaal, which means Baal is God, and he started serving Baal. So he turned away from the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, and he started worshiping Baal. And so God sent Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead to, to King Ahab and said, look, it's not going to rain, which was a direct challenge because Baal is who? The rain god, the god of rain. So there's a direct challenge here, right? So before we go on and read, let's uh, pray together. God, thank you uh, for this book. Um, Thank you for speaking to us in it and through it again and again and again uh, by your Spirit. Um, We're amazed. And so we, we ask that you would open us up again. You would open our hearts and our minds so that we might hear your voice. Uh, For you are still speaking. You're always speaking. And by your voice, we ask that you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, starting at verse 1. So, after a long time, in the third year, so, three years of drought, the word of the Lord then came again to Elijah. Imagine that. Three years. Where's the word of the Lord? After three years, the word of the Lord came again to Elijah. Go present yourself to Ahab, and I'll send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Verse 17. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah's like, I didn't do it. What are you talking about? This isn't me. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel and meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Stunned silence. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. By the way, because Jezebel has been hunting them down and killing them. I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. 
Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, well, he is God. Then all the people replied, well, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or maybe he's busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid any attention. Then Elijah said to the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And the fire of the Lord came down, fell, and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. And all the people saw this. They fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go, tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. We will go.
Kind of a strange story, isn't it? So we're in the middle of this three-week little thing into the life of Elijah the Tishbite. And like I was talking to you last week, Elijah's a prophet. And prophets primarily aren't future tellers. They're not fortune tellers. They don't predict things. They're, they're, they're primarily just they're truth tellers. They're agitators. They're disturbers of the peace. They say what everyone needs to hear, but no one really wants to hear. And they say the things that nobody really wants to say out loud. They speak truth to power. They speak up for and out for the poor the oppressed, the marginalized. It takes a certain amount of guts to be a prophet, right? Elijah the Tishbite was that kind of guy. Wasn't afraid to say what needed to be said. He's already confronted the king Ahab of Israel who worships Baal, the rain god. Elijah has said, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word, which which was a confrontation He was challenging King Ahab. He was saying, you think Baal is God? You think Baal brings new life? You think Baal brings the rain? (laughs) No, it's the Lord. And guess what happens? There's no rain. No rain. The sun beats down. The streams dry up. So now, at this point in the story, Elijah's on the run in the wilderness. King Ahab and Jezebel are after him, but God provides everything he needs. He has food, he has drink. Now three long, hot, dry years later. Three years, can you imagine that? Three years later, the word of the Lord then comes again to Elijah the Tishbite. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah just went and presented himself to Ahab, whose wife Jezebel has been hunting down and killing people like him for three years. Once again, Elijah's sort of living life on the edge. He's dancing on that line between God's reign in this world and evil's bid to sort of take it away from God. So Ahab sees Elijah and he says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah's like, what are you talking about? I'm not the troubler of Israel. Me? I didn't do this. I didn't bring this on. You and your father's household did this by abandoning the Lord and worshiping Baal. Now, look. We're going to do something here. Gather up all the people of Israel. Meet me on the top of Mount Carmel. right? And one more thing. Bring 450 prophets of Baal and bring the 400 prophets of Asherah. So here the scene is set. right? It's kind of like this epic battle that's, that's taking shape here. You've got Elijah and the Lord on one side. And you've got the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah on the other, on the other side. I think it's almost like a big movie scene. It's like this epic battle is shaping up. And you've got Ahab, who's the king of Israel, and the people of Israel sort of in the middle. And they're going to watch the clash of the gods happening right in front of them. Right? Think, think Infinity War, Endgame. Right? Just use your imagination. Something like that. Right? So you've got the people of Israel and King Ahab in the middle. They're going to watch this epic battle happen. Right? And then Elijah stands up in front of the people and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. How long will you waver between two opinions? Now, there's some imagery here that I think is important for us to catch because Hebrew is a, is a really sort of 
picturesque sort of language. So I want to, the Hebrew word behind the words two opinions comes from the same root word that means the branch or a large limb of a tree. So picture this in your mind. This large limb is sort of split into two smaller limbs. Now the Hebrew word behind the word waver is to skip, hop, or limp back and forth. So picture it in your mind. You've got this big branch that sort of splits off into two branches. You want to get to the end. But as you're going, you keep hopping back and forth between the two. Right? And if you keep doing that, these branches get so far apart that eventually you're going to miss and you're going to fall and you're going to break something and you're going to hurt yourself. And then you're going to have to climb back up and you're going to have to get back on that branch again if you can. And then you're going to have to just choose because you can't keep hopping back and forth. You have to choose one or the other. Which, if we, so if we're going to live life on the edge, which one are we going to choose? How long will we hop around, follow the Lord, he says, or follow Baal? Just choose. Now at this point in the story, it's where we start thinking to ourselves. If we haven't been thinking it already, See, then I just started talking and it stopped. It's magic. So, it's at this point in the story where we start thinking to ourselves, man, these were primitive people. Right? These are old stories. They're not relevant because these are primitive people. They don't know the things that we know. Like, we know how the world works. Like, they thought there were all sorts of little gods for all sorts of things that happened in nature. They think there's like a sun god, a moon god. They think there's a god of fire, a god of wind, a god of rain. We know better than that. We know how the world actually works. So we don't believe in all these other little gods. Well, here's what I think. We worship and make sacrifices to all sorts of other little gods all the time. We just don't call them gods. We're like, we just leave that part out. We just, we just don't call them gods. When we let our money and our resources become the thing that sort of controls our decision-making process, and the first question we ask is, how much is this going to cost me? Instead of asking, well, what's the right thing to do? What's the thing that is going to help the most people, allow people to flourish? What does God want? We're bowing down to the little God of money. Or when we allow ourselves to sort of get caught up in the great grand game of accumulation, I got to have this, I got to have that. I have to have the new version of this or the next iteration of that because oh, somehow it will make me feel good and special. Life would just be awesome if I could just get the next thing. And we do this all the time. We're bowing down to the little God of, of greed. Or when we're about to make an important decision and we're asking these sorts of questions. Well, what will people think of me? Or what will, what will people say? Or how is that going to look? Or 
what kind of an effect is this going to have on my reputation or, or us as a church? We start thinking, well, what, other, what are other churches going to start thinking about us? They're going to say we're nuts. We're going to, they're going to say we're crazy. They're going to say we've fallen off the deep end. They're going to say that we're reckless. When we let the answers to those questions determine what steps we're going to take instead of what we think God wants or how God is leading us, we're bowing down to the weak and ineffectual little God of our own self-image, right? Or when people are addicted to pornography, rationalize their behavior by thinking, ah, if it's just in my fantasy, it's not really, it's just in my head, it's not really cheating, right? Or it's just pictures, it's just video, it's not really harming anybody. Really, what about the people in those videos and those who are being exploited, isn't that just really bowing down to the fleeting, momentary God of pleasure? Or if psychologists are right, it's more about power, it's more about control than anything else. Right? Two more little gods, pleasure, power. Or what about this? When anger gets the best of us, we lose our temper and, and our tongues and our fists get out of control. Aren't we really bowing down to the little God of power there too? We just want control. When we don't have control, we just get so mad and we'll do anything we can to get control. Little gods everywhere. Or what about this? When we allow ourselves to be formed because we immerse ourselves in this stuff. When we allow ourselves to be formed by cable news or by Facebook or Facebook groups or or YouTube videos, and then we get down these little rabbit trails of YouTubes because YouTube videos because we because we we think we're going to gain special knowledge that nobody else knows, and it it really bolsters my self esteem because I'm part of this in group. This political identity is now forming me. When we allow those things to form us more than things like say the scriptures or spending time in prayer. Like we get an hour a Sunday, an hour a week, and all that other stuff gets like how many hours and hours and hours and hours? That stuff is formative. When we, what are we bowing down to? What are we worshiping to when we allow ourselves to be formed by all of that stuff? I don't even know, but it's not Jesus. A little God here, a little God there, little gods dancing everywhere, though we don't call them gods because although we do worship and we make sacrifices, real time and money, come follow me, they say. I'll give you power. I'll give you pleasure. I'll give you status. I'll give you that special feeling. I'll make you, make you feel like you're in the in-group. Come follow me. Which God is your little God? Because we all have them. And then Elijah walks into this room and he looks at all of us right in the eye and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you skip and hop? If the Lord is God, follow him. If all those other little gods are gods, then by all means, just give yourselves to them. And here we sit with Ahab and the rest of Israel, stunned, silenced, as we're like.
then Elijah sets up this contest, right? Again, picture it. It's this big, epic battle. They're to get two bulls. He and the prophets of Baal will each prepare a bull for sacrifice and they'll place it on an altar to burn. But here's the catch. Once once the sacrifice has has been sort of prepared, they're not to set fire to the wood. Instead, the prophets of Baal will do their thing and call on the name of Baal, and Elijah will call on the name of the Lord. And Elijah says, the God who answers by fire, he is God. Remember, Baal is the rain god, the god of storms, the god of thunder, the god of lightning. How is the fire going to come down? Lightning, maybe? So he's sort of giving them, giving Baal the upper hand here, which is why they're like, Ooh, what you say is good, right? Perhaps, perhaps Baal has the upper hand. So after Baal's prophets prepare the bull, they cry out, oh, Baal, answer us. What happens? Nothing. So they begin to dance and chant. All this religiosity happening. Like they make a big show of it. Nothing. When noon rolls around, Elijah begins to tease them. Maybe he's deep in thought. He's thinking. Maybe he's traveling. Or the, or the Scriptures sort of say, maybe he's in the bathroom. Like, I wish they would translate that well. Maybe he's, maybe he's taking a dump. He's busy. It's hilarious. Maybe he's sleeping. So they work themselves into a frenzy. Right? They shout even louder. They begin slashing themselves and cutting themselves. Self-harm making their blood flow to show their great devotion to Baal. After all of that, nothing. Silence. Then Elijah calls to the people. You can see him. He's just calm. Like, come here. After they've been worshiping Baal for so long, he's like, just come here. He takes 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, and he builds an altar. He's reminding them who they are and to whom they belong, the Lord, the God of Israel. He calmly prepares the bull and places it on the altar. Then he digs a trench around it. And three times he has them pour just a ton of water, an enormous amount, right? Remember, Baal is the rain god. He's giving Baal the upper hand here. Right? Then he calmly prays. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Answer, O Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and you are turning their hearts back again. Notice, calmly prepares things. He calmly prays. He just we don't have to dance around and make a religious spectacle out of it. We don't have to beat ourselves up for worshiping other gods. He just says, come. We don't have to cut up and slash up our souls with all that guilt and shame. All we have to do is ask. Just ask. Oh Lord, answer me. The fire of the Lord fell burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. 
In the Bible, fire is associated with all sorts of things. Fire is associated with God's presence, with God's holiness, with God's, some, some instances, God's guidance. In the Bible, fire is associated with, with purifying, burning, transforming, making things new. Friends, I don't know what little God you've been following, but we all have them. We don't have to beat ourselves up for it. We don't have to cut up and slash our souls with all this guilt and shame. All we have to do is just ask, Oh Lord, come. Bring your fire. Burn away my guilt. Burn away my shame. Purify me. Transform me. Make me new for I belong to you. And sometimes the fire is uncomfortable. Sometimes the fire hurts. Friends, listen. Our worship of all these other little gods, the little gods of this world, they can, be, they can become barriers. They can become barriers to blessing. But look what happens when on the other side of the fire, Look what happens when all those barriers are removed. People cry out to God, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Their hearts are now changed. And Elijah turns to Ahab and says, go, eat and drink, for the rain is coming. So Ahab goes off to eat and drink while Elijah climbs to the top of Mount Carmel. And he tells his servant seven times to look toward the sea. And on the seventh time, the seventh time, the seventh time, kind of like on the seventh day when we come here and gather together as a community so thirsty, looking for something to drink, looking for something more. On the seventh time, a servant comes back and says, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. And the sky grew black with clouds, and the wind rose, and a heavy rain came. Blessing, grace, life-giving water. They were thirsty for so long, three long, hot, dry years, and God just brings the rain. Are you getting this? Let's get it straight. The fire comes burns, purifies, transforms. The Israelites repent. They cry out, the Lord, He is God. They turn around. They change their minds. They change their hearts. They leave that little God Baal. And then what happens? The dark clouds appear. The thunder rolls. And then God brings the rain. On the other side of the fire, is rain, blessing, grace, forgiveness, life-giving water. I have this bowl up here. And it has water in it. Here for you. And maybe you felt, maybe you felt some of that fire this morning. Maybe God's spoken to you in some ways and you're like, oh, 
And maybe it's become a little bit uncomfortable for you. That's okay. During the last song or after, or whenever you feel most comfortable, I invite you to just come up and touch the water. Because right? like, like fire, water purifies, transforms things. It brings new life. So come up and touch the water. Let it remind you of your baptism. Let it remind you of who you are and to whom you belong. And that little God you've been serving, that guilt and shame that you have weighing down on you, just, just let it go. Let God burn it all away. And then feel the wire. Feel the water. Maybe put it on your forehead. Receive the rain. Receive the grace. Receive new life. Receive transformation. Let's pray.